0: Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you.
1: Hi, this is Dr. John Townsend, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hi,
0: this is
1: Taya Kyle, and you're listening to Life Giver. Hey, this is Alex Holroyd with Young Life, and you're listening to Life Giver.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver podcast. We are on the road, apparently. I'm um, not coming to you from the office. I'm actually coming to you from Fort Jackson at the Chaplain Center of School. I'm going to take this earpiece out. Um, I am so excited um, of what could potentially become a series on moral injury. and um, I am so excited to invite Chaplain Timothy Mallard to the podcast. You guys are in for a treat. Um, we are at the schoolhouse, the Chaplain Schoolhouse, and you aren't here. You're actually in DC getting ready to actually move to Germany. So That's I great. just thank you so much for making this possible. Um, And even more than that, uh, I consider him a dear friend. And so you guys are in in for a treat. We are gonna be talking on a big topic um, that a lot of people think about struggle with um, and probably impacts your family, impacts your marriage, maybe even impacts Parenting happening in your house, um, maybe even your social network as well, and it's not—it's topic that's kind of new, um, but kind of not new, and it's the topic of moral injury. And so we're going to talk about what that is, um, and talk about maybe what you can do about it, what you can. Um, Maybe pass on to others uh, on it, and so we're just gonna dive in. So, okay. welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so welcome Chaplain you. Mallard, why don't you start off by sharing with everybody a little bit about what you're doing now mm-hmm. and what you're headed to do soon? Okay, because it's you can do it better than I can. Okay. So
1: <laughs> Well, thanks, Corey, for having me today. Um, so, I'm currently stationed uh, at the Pentagon at the office of the Chief Chaplains as the Director of Recruiting and Endorser Relations. So, I'm in charge of you know, recruiting efforts for the Chaplain Corps, for the active Guard and Reserve around the world. Uh, But we also uh, manage the relationships with the 192 uh, endorsing agents and faith traditions churches that send um, clergy to the United States Army to serve in the Chaplain Corps. Um, As well, I am the lead SME within the branch for the chaplain corps ethics community of practice because part of my background is in uh, theological ethics which seeks to correlate um, faith with living that out uh, in whatever uh, means you happen to live including the profession of arms. Um, so um, so my background uh, in educationally is is uh uh, is, is in theological ethics, particularly doing, having done some study on a person like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That was, he was mm-hmm. the subject of one of my master's th- uh, theses and my doctoral dissertation. Bonhoeffer was consumed with that, that issue of how do I live out you know, my faith in the midst of, at that time for him, a uh, uh, very um, contentious and problematic time in, in the life of Germany uh, prior to and, and, and including World War II. So then, next, and perhaps uh, somewhat ironically or poetically, I will be going to uh, to Germany to become the command chaplain at United States Army Europe and Seventh Army in Wiesbaden. and I'll go there this August.
0: So exciting! Germany is going to be amazing. Um, and to point out, I mean, there's a couple things that actually you said that I want to. Um, When you say SME, that's subject matter expert, right? No, that's okay, that's okay. Um, I'm still learning some of these acronyms. Um, And you also mentioned ethics, and that is a huge topic in the military um, that chaplains are really being brought into the conversation on, um, of the ethics of warfare, the Mm -hmm. ethics of faith. A lot of our battles are being done involving different religions Mm -hmm. and and all that. I know you know far more than I do on that. But when you, um, you're being quite humble when you say that you are considered one of these subject matter experts for the chief's office in really having these conversations on ethics, having these conversations of how do we live out our faith? What does that mean to be within the chaplain corps, What does it mean to be a chaplain? Right. Um, and currently a chaplain with the current warfare that we're in. Right. And so um, I know for you, You've written several articles. You're very passionate about moral and spiritual injury. Right. Um, you also, I know you and I could have a long conversation on the role of suffering mm-hmm. um, in our lives. And what does that mean and what do we do with that? And so I think to start, I would love to hear what is your definition of moral injury? Mm-hmm. Um, some people may have heard moral injury coming from, I believe it was Shaw or Shay, uh, Jonathan Shay. Shay, Jonathan right. Shay. Um, maybe was one of the first people that introduced moral injury into the conversation. Um, So how would you define moral injury as most of the listeners might understand it with being military and first responders? Okay, Um, well... I'm going to move this closer to you just in case. Sure. Okay. Um, Before
1: I get into the definition and and, uh, some of the uh, more established concepts about uh, moral injury and then and then my parallel concept of spiritual injury let me kind of go back a little bit because there's a real sense in my life confessionally in which i i I lived this out um, because uh, my father was an army chaplain for 30 years as you know and um, one of my earliest memories is of him going to vietnam and he served in the first cavalry division in 1969 and and 70 um, and some Very very tough fights uh, as a battalion chaplain, and so he was over there for a year, um, but that year was uh, decisive in um, in his emotional um, and spiritual uh, framework, and 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 really for the rest of his life, he he never he never. I, I think was apart from that experience as a as a paradigmatic experience for him a shaping experience. Um, he learned to live with it, but it, the 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 cost of living with that was a project that uh, you know was with him the rest of his life. So um, as a young boy, I, I have I have a bit of a different perspective in terms of the army the army and the army chaplaincy. So. You know, I I was I was a I was a dependent, you know, and then left home and felt uh, God's calling to me to to be a chaplain, and then became a chaplain candidate and a reserve chaplain, and then you know have been on active duty now. So this this uh, this year marks my thirtieth year in uniform and
0: also a father.
1: Right, right. Married right. Uh, Sharon uh, and I have been married for uh, coming up on thirty. Uh, two years and we have three, three adult children. Um, and, and now we have, uh, also lived with the same set of experiences that, that my mother and father and my family of origin lived with. So I have this sort of, you know, um, unique uh, perspective of coming at this issue in a very practical, um, way, having lived this from, uh, some of my earliest, uh, earliest memories when my dad went to Vietnam. So um, I have written about this. The The standard definition of moral injury does come out of, um, originally uh, it was a term with uh, a clinician named Jonathan Shea, um, very, very eminent uh, clinician in the Veterans Administration who worked mostly like my father with Vietnam veterans. And um, originally the definition, Shea was concerned about the the repetitive number of veterans with whom he was counseling who voiced ex- an extreme sense of betrayal um, toward uh, the the nation, toward the Army, toward the Marine Corps, toward their commanders from their experience in Vietnam, that they felt like they had been put in um, morally impossible situations and given uh, orders at times or maybe been called, you know, to Uh, certainly to uh, conduct combat operations and engage and kill the enemy, that violated their sense of uh, right and wrong. Even if they couldn't articulate that sense of right and wrong, it it was sort of intuitive. They knew something was right or wrong and and that they were still living years later with uh, the guilt of that. So the way Shea framed that and then others after him, um, such as Larry Dewey and Tick and others, um, was to focus on moral injury um, as um, uh, that the key verb that they've that they used and has continued to be used by in the current literature particularly in the Veterans Administration is built on the 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 verb of transgression right so the so that the the warrior um, something has been transgressed either the warrior has done that or it has been done to him or her um, originally the 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 discussion professionally centered on that having been done to the warrior, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but by the same token, I, I think predominantly. But it, it also included the fact that, again, there were times that they were that uh, uh, warriors were called to do things in combat that that they just intuitively knew were wrong, and they had to live with that guilt. So, at any rate. Um, so,
0: for example, um, if they were asked to. Um, do something where civilians were killed. Right. Is an example of that, right?
1: Could could be. Here's here's another one. Uh, and this comes from the the history of the chaplain corps. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the uh, the records of a Catholic priest who was a battalion chaplain. And there was a point in Vietnam, the war there, where uh, there was an order that came down from General Westmoreland, who was the commander of military forces of Vietnam. Um, and there was an effort to count uh, bodies it's you know uh, of the dead and that that would give us some sort of metric on whether we were being successful in battle this particular chaplain records that on his firebase his commander wanted the ears of um, mm. the the dead enemy uh, he wanted his troopers to cut those off bring those back to the fire base and and create a mound mm. you know of those ears that would be some sort of visible symbol, you know, and, uh, this particular priest, um, sensed that, that was, that was wrong. And he, he began holding a memorial service every week at that mound, mm. <laughs> um, and, and wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, stop. And and eventually the practice stopped, uh, in that particular, unit. know, it's an example, uh, just one example, but, um, at any rate, uh, the, the term moral injury, however, has, has morphed uh, with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, uh, the so-called global war on terror, however, has now um, really sort of mushroomed, I think, particularly within the clinical communities, um, to encompass uh, a number of expressions. It's, it's it's different than PTSD, post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress disorder, according to the um, according to the professional literature, can be diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Right? That is a that's a clinical diagnosis. Um, moral injury is not. <clears throat> it is a descriptive, um, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, attempt to categorize the effect on the warrior of some of their experiences in combat, <clears throat> residual experiences. Now. I have dealt with um, warriors who, who clearly um, exhibit signs of moral injury, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. who did things in combat uh, for which they feel extreme amounts of uh, burdening guilt. Mm-hmm. They, so I, I don't, <clears throat> I, don't uh, I, I, I want folks to understand, I'm not calling into question the validity of even the descriptive term of moral injury. <clears throat> However, what I have also seen um, is that there seemed to be a uh, a parallel set of experiences, um, related set of experiences, and war more that warriors felt uh, that that also impacted them deeply um, in in a very. Uh, permanent way in and in a pervasive way, and those are the two categorized, two, two descriptors that I use to connote know, spiritual injury, it's both permanent and pervasive, to the depth of their soul that they may not have had played any sort of role in, in, mm-hmm. in, in engendering in, in combat. Here, here's an example. Um, you know, a, uh, a very good friend of mine was killed by, by an IED on his, uh, his third week in country um, in, in Iraq. Um, and the, the definition of moral injury built on the word transgression. Transgression implies, uh, in, again, in terms of ethics, it implies agency. Mm-hmm. Somebody did something wrong. Well, mm-hmm. this sort of unanswered presumption in the in the current definition is generally that uh, that the warrior did something wrong. Mm. You know, um, and yet I've had a number of warriors and their families say. We, were, we didn't do anything wrong in this. We were, we were trying to live out our, our, our faith, live out our calling to, the, to God or to the nation. We were trying to live up to mm. the commitments that we made. Um, what did we do wrong here? You know?
0: And yet uh, and walked away with a wounding.
1: It, exactly, themselves. exactly. <clears throat> and, and, and I also have problems with the fact that transgression is generally considered a theological verb. Yeah. And in theology, trans- you can't look at transgression Without looking at the antecedent concept of sin, mm-hmm. or the descendant concept of forgiveness, mm-hmm. and and particularly relative to forgiveness, um, in, in the in the current uh, literature about moral injury, there's really no mechanism for forgiveness. I mean, there 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 will be sort of admonitions for the warrior to forgive themselves, but more mm-hmm. m- most warriors that I talk to don't need to forgive themselves. They're seeking God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for what they did or what they experienced so again going going back to to spiritual injury and 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 somebody not having done something so back to, to my friend and colleague who who was killed by this ID I mean in his case he was a man of deeply committed faith um, he had raised his family and that I know that because I I had known them for for many years and in fact baptized one of their children um, his okay. His only scientific. decision was to raise his right hand and say, yes, I'll go, mm-hmm. you know, and the family, yes, we'll support you in going. That, we would say in ethics, well, that's a, that's a, that's a, a noble, an honorable act, you're, you're acting out of integrity. And yet his death, after only just three weeks in theater, they hadn't even completed what we call the, uh, the riptoe of the relief in place and transfer of authority. Um, continues to impact that family system, Mm -hmm. right? So they also are wounded in a very deep and profound way. Um, Even now, as their children grow into late teenage years and adulthood, just as my family was impacted deeply by my father's experience in Vietnam, I watched him come home and knew that something had happened over there, but I could not, as as a little boy, I couldn't figure out what it was, mm. and it wasn't until years later when I experienced my own sense of spiritual injury, um, and, and then came home from a uh, second tour in Iraq that my father was able to talk to me and connect about his own experience before he before he died. So,
0: so if I were to
1: yeah.
0: horribly sum it up, because there's no way to really, because you've done such a great job unpacking it. Um, Are you saying that on a basic level, Mm -hmm. moral injury often is when a transgression has happened where usually by definition from Shay and and some of the others that the the soldier or the person has done something or been asked to do something in action, a behavior, a decision, that goes against their morals or their values Mm -hmm. and wrestling with the guilt of um, whether it was that leadership or whatever, whatever it was that they felt that pressure to then go Mm -hmm. against their morals or values Mm -hmm. and spiritual injury being this um, branch of it, if you will, that's harder to explain Mm -hmm. where it's, I didn't, I didn't do anything and yet I walked away with this deep, deep injury, soul injury.
1: Right. Uh, And well, and you've, You've hit on a couple of things number number one one of my criticisms with the current definition of moral injury is that the presumption is could or could at least this could be that the warrior has in fact done something yes mm-hmm. it has been the agent that that transgressed but it's not spelled out it's not made clear and because the term is being bandied about these days mm-hmm. you know all over the place there's there's a lack of real clarity about the original definition or how it's applied in in the lives of people. One of my other criticisms, again, not just with the verb transgression is that it describes, um, an event. Mm -hmm. It's event centered, Mm. but when I'm counseling somebody, I don't have an event in front of me. I have a person, Mm. right. And, 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 or I have their family. I have to deal with those people that are there. Um, and from, from my perspective, uh, the other thing that, uh, is not helpful about uh, the term moral injury as a sort of comprehensive construct is it doesn't name what's wounded and when I when I term uh, spiritual injury I, I concretely say it's the soul that's been wounded mm. now that presumes and this is I think again a, maybe a critique I have of of uh, clinical the clinical work these days um, clinicians and come from a scientific worldview and perspective um, and and that's extremely helpful the the research they're doing is 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 often groundbreaking and very very helpful in the long term but perhaps for for whatever reason they often don't look at the person in front of front of them as a person both body and soul Mm -hmm. right they 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 often will look at the person just as the physiological um, being in front of them Um, as a pastor, as a, as a chaplain, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and in fact, theologically, that doesn't accord with with what I confess to be true, that again, that person sitting in front of me, each of their family members are persons created in the image of God, body and soul. That if they've taken a life or experienced something in combat, they did that in relation to other people who are people created in God's image, body and soul. You know, So war is a profound wounding of the body I want to contend that it's also a profound wounding of the soul Mm -hmm. and spiritual injury is 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 my attempt to to capture that that woundedness my observ one of my observations is that as I've dealt frankly with with myself I've had physical um um, injuries in combat but dealt with many other people as well it's often the physical injuries and maybe even the mental injuries I, I do agree that you can have physical mental emotional and spiritual injuries from combat but it's often those of physical and 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 mental and maybe even emotional injuries that heal long before the spiritual injuries Mm -hmm. that many of those many of that type of injury are 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 so profound to the core of the person's being that they that's why i say that they're both persistent and pervasive until they're dealt with but uh-huh. I
0: think it's also um, likely that people don't know what to do. Like, right. um, as a mental health professional, you're right, we tend to, the, the clinical community tends to focus on what are the physical symptoms or mm-hmm. the manifestation of the mental. Emotional symptoms. Physically. Right?
1: Which we have grown manifestly in our understanding in this war about.
0: No question. But you're right. Like the clinical community wants to put a band-aid on that. I'm not against medication. Right. You know, but I think that there are, like you're saying, there are um, other angles that we can come at this and if we are not if we, yes, I think it's important to help somebody get to the place where they're physically functioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is helpful to get them to a place where they're physically functioning to then deal with what else is there. Right. Um, but you're right. If we have dealt with that and not dealt with the soul injury, right. the, the symptoms aren't what you're going to find in the DSM five, right? Right. Exactly. You're, you're not going to see, and let's talk about that for a second. So soul injury, because. Um, just to put it in context, I know you're seeing this with warriors, you're seeing mm-hmm. this with service members. You've even explained how you see that in the family. Yes. Um, I also see it in the first responder community. Yes, right, absolutely. Especially culturally now. Right. When you have um, first responder families that don't have the level of support that we have mm-hmm. in the military. Mm-hmm. And they're going out there and they're doing something and they're doing something that's for a lot of them grounded in their values, mm-hmm. grounded in mm-hmm. them morally. I, So many of them tell me that they signed up for this job because it was right and right. good and standing up for right and wrong or good and evil. Mm-hmm. And whether it's the politics in the system that we also see military as well, it's just right. our culture, or whether it's the culture, the American culture itself, coming against them mm-hmm. and posing threats on this the first responder or even their family and children mm-hmm. that, you know, we want you when you're saving us from something. We don't want you when it seems like you are... Um, being racist or or bothering us or whatever the issue is or mm-hmm. when you seem like a threat to us rather than a rescuer mm-hmm. and so I see these families that also struggle with this soul injury there's so many levels to this I want to ask you about because sure. I really want and am trying to nail down and I see it trying to nail down um, what is this soul injury mm-hmm. what do we do mm-hmm. with this soul injury depending on whatever level we find ourselves on so we have warrior first responder we have spouse trying to and the um, experiencing the um, consequences which right. i want us to unpack here in just a second right. um, we also have um, these family members who are experiencing almost a cultural soul injury and i want to ask you what you think about that okay. as well yeah so let's talk about um, what what do you see as the manifestation or the consequences of soul injury?
1: Okay. Um, again, let me kind of back up yeah. a little bit to, number one, affirm um, your observation about first responders. And and I personally learned this um, uh, working at the Pentagon after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And I am continuing to be in dialogue with some of the first responders with whom I served. And... In fact, know of that community that they, uh, that's that particular cohort of people. Uh, one of those, in in a, that I have particularly in mind right now, ha- have experienced, you know, suicidal ideation or completed mm-hmm. suicides, increased alcoholism, family problems, um, but also a deep sense of profound uh, impact from that. Again, having been motivated. With what we would say is a right motivation, mm-hmm. ethically to serve, mm-hmm. they they came to serve, and if they could to save lives, and then when it was clear that we couldn't save any more lives, to retrieve those who had died mm-hmm. and re- and return them to their families and communities with honor, and yet they still are living with that. Um, so, um, I I see that uh, as. Um, I agree with you. this is not just um, a type of injury, spiritual injury that only warriors experience. Uh, first responders can experience I have used this construct frankly with women who have been um, sexually assaulted mm-hmm. and men who have been sexually assaulted mm-hmm. who who sense the same sense of deep woundedness to mm-hmm. to their to their soul so, there there's a number of ways in which in in our society i think you could take this and apply it in 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 many different contexts now how do i define spiritual injury as opposed to moral injury again moral injury is defined as as a transgression of deeply held beliefs you know and it's it could be assumed that that's on the part of the warrior Um, i define spiritual injury as the foundational impact of trauma upon the soul that then ruptures foundational relationships of that person mm-hmm. and and I think of that I think of those relationships concentrically now um, in the in the warrior and I'll take that yeah. as an example because that's who I work with typically the way in the American way of war today we deploy a unit they go for uh, you know uh, 9 to, to 12 months or perhaps even more at times so the warrior might have experienced an event in time on, on the battlefield. Um, and he or she might experience the ability to manage that for the rest of the deployment because there's a mission to do, mm-hmm. we, we, have, we have to get this done, um, I know I have a date on the wall that I'll, which I'll go home, that kind of thing. But I've also got a close-knit support system, I have the unit here. So often um, the, this, the, the moral and or spiritual injury can be ameliorated the effects of it for the rest of that deployment, because the warrior is, is surrounded by their unit. However, again, in the American way of war, now we redeploy that unit, psh, we, mm-hmm. we disperse them to the four winds around the rest of the force. They go out to different units. They then never have the capacity often to continue to help each other mm-hmm. and their families deal with mm-hmm. um, the effects of those moral and or spiritual injuries they experienced which they, experience, which, they uh, which occurred as individuals in their in their unit so then who takes up the the next level of relationship well then it is the family system mm-hmm. so and, and yet for many family systems and for many warriors that moral injury as i've defined it becomes or and or spiritual injury becomes like a red wall a brick wall you know so so the family knows some things occurred um but because they're unsure, they don't want to intrude, they, mm-hmm. they, uh, um, they don't want to uh, perhaps upset the warrior, they, they, they think that maybe given more time, you know, he or she will come to terms with it, that wall just kind of slowly builds up in, in the way the family relates to one another.
0: In addition to that, I think it's also that families can't even understand if they try. Yeah, I, I, th-
1: I think that's also very true. And on the part of the warrior, Right, You, you often, if, if I can be a bit crass here, mm-hmm. um, you don't want to burden your family with the crap right. that you saw or experienced or dealt with. You, you don't want them to have to be um, afflicted by your memories, mm-hmm. your experiences, your nightly dreams, things mm-hmm. like that. And so you continue to just suppress those. And again, the wall gets built up. More and more so after a while the wall becomes the, the way of the family system relating to one of the unit is gone and dispersed the warrior may have distant contact with them um, but day to day you know he or she is living with this but doesn't want to burden the family the family knows it's there but doesn't know how to get around it and so um, th- this can become a barrier so also I contend that that foundational rupture of relationships, however, extends beyond the family. Mm-hmm. What I've also seen with warriors who have experienced extreme uh, moral and spiritual injury, and by the way, a, a category, the way I categorize moral and spiritual injury is um, the twin wounds of war, mm-hmm. right? So any parent of twins will understand that. Um, you know they look alike <laughs> they they sound alike they may even act alike but they're different mm-hmm. they're there you have two individuals in front of you and as a parent you have to treat both individuals as as mm-hmm. as uh, as themselves so I, I categorize moral and spiritual injury as twin wounds of war so be that as it may um the rupture of relationships continues even beyond for the warrior not only the family system but also the community um Perhaps, even in our case, the army, Mm
0: -hmm. the nation,
1: Mm -hmm. and then God. Mm -hmm. The the rupture is, that's why I say it's pervasive and persistent. It it literally impacts every one of those potential relationships in the life of the warrior.
0: Why why is God that outside concentric circle?
1: Um,
0: Why not?
1: I think. Why not
0: that person, God, then family, then?
1: Right, that's a that's a fair question. I am again describing the perspective, typically of the way the warrior thinks. Okay.
0: Okay.
1: Right. So, theologically and existentially, I would say yes. God is at the foundation of my being. You know, mm-hmm. God has created me, body and soul. But He's not out there mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. He is around me. He's in me. I I certainly understand. But his that.
0: experience <clears throat> of of how that fractures.
1: Exactly, the warrior's experience is, oh, I not only have to keep this separate from my family, mm. I can't let the community know, I can't let the army know for sure in our context, mm. I can't let the nation know, and I can't, certainly can't let God know, even though mm. theologically we would say, well, God knows everything. Yeah. He, he was there, he, he, it's a fallen world, he knows when, when, when sinful things happen, and not just sinful actions that that i commit but sin that's visited upon me right he knows that we live in a fallen world but the way the warrior thinks is um all of my relationships have been ruptured Mm -hmm. and and the ultimate relationship Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not the penultimate relationships Mm -hmm. but the ultimate relationship is to god and that's the one Mm-hmm. they're often most concerned about, but it's kind of, they're trying to, they're trying to deal with the most immediate one, yeah. which is often the family system. Um, so reframing those relationships can, I think as you're sort of perhaps leading to, can in fact be a, um, a, meth- a methodology for achieving healing in the warrior.
0: So, cause I'm excited to go there sure. on this. So a spouse that might be listening who... Maybe knows that her spouse, her warrior, has gone through something, and that mm-hmm. he wrestles with it. Maybe he has nightmares. Maybe mm-hmm. um, she sees evidence or consequences of mm-hmm. something happening in his world, right. and is trying to put a finger on it. Mm-hmm. You know, but maybe there's not conversation happening in the mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we? What are we likely to see? How does that manifest? Isolation.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it's almost um that the the number one manifestation i hate to ask
0: that question because it goes back to the beginning of like what are the physical manifestations but how would they know
1: but you're but you're right Uh, one of the 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 primary manifestations um is is isolation and in fact particularly for the warrior an increasing sort of withdrawal Um, they they sense intuitively that all these relationships have been ruptured or they think that they have Mm. right Mm. um and so they just withdraw further and further and further in, in, into a, a, a cocoon, uh, as, it, as it were. Um, and, and, again, if the family, maybe without even discussing it, you know, but there's this sort of agreed-upon consensus, well, let's just let let's let dad have his time. You know, he's st- still dealing with this, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, you may get to the point where the family system um, even accepts that as a new stasis or, or, or way of being. Um, and that becomes the way they exist for the rest of their life. Um, but is that what really God wants for us in terms of healthy family systems? I don't mm-hmm. think that it is. That's another of my criticisms, again, about the, the way moral injury is both framed and treated in particularly the clinical communities these days. it's it's almost like there's no realization that this impacts the family system. And in fact, the family system can be a mechanism for healing. So, um, so what does the family system do? What, what is the, what does a a family do in
0: helping the warrior? Can I pause you before you go there? Um, I want to ask, and I can produce this out if this goes in the wrong direction. Um, do you see some of this moral and maybe more so spiritual injury, contributing to the increasing isolation that happens, especially in the military world as, um, as families or specifically as soldiers or service members Mm -hmm. go up in rank?
1: Um, I I do. And I think it's also attenuated again by the, by the American way of war now. Like Um,
0: are those connected?
1: Oh, absolutely. You can't, you can't disconnect any of the, of the context. Right. So, um, and for, for, and, and again, as I'm, I'm writing a whole new article on this, which is uh, uh, one of the the observations. In that article is that one of the things that's contributing to this is, frankly, the um, the rise of the all the effects of the rise of the all volunteer force. You know, um, because in America we no longer send uh, warriors to war r- relative to or related to their communities. Mm-hmm. Right. We, since 1976, um, and we, we always had the capacity for volunteers, but we had cons- conscription, the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that moving back to the draft would be the panacea for this or the, the solution. But all I'm saying is when we went to an all-volunteer force, um, we became a highly uh, technically and tactically proficient military force. In fact, the most effective military force in the history of the world i don't think there's any question about that but <clears throat> as a result we weren't repeatedly cycling in people from outside in the populace right we we became this this often generally discreet group of professionals um, so that now unlike in my dad's day when he went to vietnam for one year and maybe if a soldier was a real professional and was going to be committed to, to the Army uh, or to the Marine Corps for a long time, they might go for a second one-year tour. We've got uh, five, colleagues of ours six, who have eight. gone five, yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, ten times yeah. who have deployed and then redeployed. So that has that way of... But but again, we've deployed and redeployed them, but there there's no connection to their communities,
0: mm-hmm. unlike
1: in, let's say, the regimental system in, of... The British Army, where a regiment represents a township and, and, and a county, perhaps. Um, and when that regiment goes, the the, the the community sends them off. And when they return, the community receives them back. Our, our warriors just go, fight, come home, and then we're just dispersed to the four winds. But again, if they've experienced trauma in combat, that individual is still carrying that through their lives no matter where they go.
0: And, so, and are you saying, and yet they volunteered to do that?
1: Yeah, we, we all do. I mean, yeah. we, there's no one held a gun. But that's
0: the variable in there of like, it, because it it's a volunteer force and you volunteered to, to live this lifestyle?
1: No, when I say the all-volunteer force, yes, it is all-volunteer. You you know, we, we can't compel someone to serve in the military. But <clears throat> the, the volunteerism extends when the person says, no, I will also re-enlist, and I'll re-enlist, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll, I'll re-commission as an officer. I stay within the military. Mm-hmm. So the all-volunteer force is, is pervasive in terms of the life cycle of, of a career. Mm-hmm. But do we understand, again, that by doing that, again, we've achieved a highly uh, proficient force, but we've disconnected that force from, in one sense, maybe the very populace that we're supposed to serve. I think this is one of the reasons that I get so many people, and and I'll I'll just be perfectly candid, I don't travel in uniform anymore Mm -hmm. Um, because I get so many people who come up to me, thank you for your service, thank you for your service, and I know that they mean well, Mm -hmm. but that often has this very hollow or empty feel Mm -hmm. to me, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not um, casting aspersions on the motivations of people. Mm-hmm. I think many of our citizens are seeking mm-hmm. a way to connect to their military. Mm-hmm. and that is sort of a, a culturally accepted common mm-hmm. way that they can at least try. But for the warrior mm-hmm. who may be dealing with um, extreme or, in, or enduring moral and/ or spiritual injury, all they want to do is again, retreat. Mm-hmm. They want to be anonymous. They want mm-hmm. to be isolated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They don't want to be called out and recognized.
0: Does that statement, <clears throat> um, because I, we've been in that situation as well? Um, do you feel like that they're again good motivation, good intentions, but is it does it kind of point out or turn the lights on on the distance? Oh, absolutely. More than absolutely. closing the gap. I,
1: I think it absolutely does, and I think that we, and this this is a sort of. Um, I think foundational question to us as a republic. I think we've got to really, as a nation, wrestle with: Is this the way of war that we want to continue? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a profound question going back to our political fabric as as a nation, Um, and um,
0: to have this continued separation.
1: Correct. Yes. To have this continued separation. Now, you you brought up another effect of moral and spiritual injury so I, I noted one relative to the american way of war but for those professionals who do stay within the force and they do advance in rank and they do advance in responsibility <clears throat> is there an increasing and maybe they they have well you know you're being considered for this uh, plum assignment or, or this promotion um, and so that also can become a, a uh, temptation to increase isolation. Mm-hmm. You now, I'm not going to say anything more. You know, I really don't want to, I don't want the system to know that I'm, I'm wrestling with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I might get passed over for that promotion or I might not get that plum assignment. Um, <clears throat> you know, or I might be, you know, ostracized as, as, you know, there's, there's one of the, uh, the people who's, you know, uh, uh sick, lame and lazy, you know, as mm-hmm. sometimes we say in the military. um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's that, um, increasing professional isolation as a potential effect or, or exacerbating cause, I guess. Uh, and yet the demands mm-hmm. on, on leaders as you, uh, as you increase in rank responsibility are just, you know, uh, exponentially, exponentially compounded. Um, and so, so that, time is taken away from you as a resource Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and time is a, is an extremely helpful Mm -hmm. uh, antidote in terms of either moral and or spiritual injury. But, but that highly professionalized warrior now leading that same group of people has less and less time to deal with that and their families. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we're also seeing longitudinally now, um, after America having been at this pace of war, this, this, this way of war for, uh, 16, now 17 years since 9-11 is we're seeing this in senior leaders mm-hmm. who have carried this through their entire careers, you know, mm-hmm. and, and full disclosure, right? I have lived with all this and dealt with all of this in my own life and in my own family system. Um, you know, you talked earlier about the drugs. I, I went through being, because I have been, I have experienced MTBI and, and, and PTSD, you know, I, I have no problem admitting those um, because they're part of who I am now. But initially, I faced these, tempt- see these same temptations and I, I went through these same responses as well. And, and the system did as well. So I had the cocktail of drugs that, that made me feel like I was living in a fog for two years, you know. Mm. Um, and, and eventually, um, I did have a very, very uh, caring uh, clinical social worker who, who helped me. Uh, unpack a lot of my accumulated um, spiritual injury going all the way back to the Pentagon but mm. through Afghanistan and Iraq the Pentagon wise.
0: being
1: 911 911 yes yeah. right um, and, and and I could see in my own life the effect of this over time. that's one of the only reasons I talk and write about this so much now because Which, I, I was brought to a place where I you know um, emotionally and spiritually I, I could do that maybe as a means of helping others,
0: which, and to clarify, um, to those that are listening, you were assigned to the Pentagon at 11. Um, there's a wonderful PBS special with Ann Curry that you were part of and finding another chaplain that was, um, there that ministered to you, um, during that time and finding him again. And it's Mm -hmm. fantastic. In fact, I will um, put a link to that. Um, for those that are listening and want to watch that it's, it's a beautiful story. So, um, So when you're talking about going all the way back to the Pentagon, that was an extreme, um, you know, listeners will will understand when I use the phrase sacred space, like very few can understand what it was like to go through that Uh, and no amount of explaining it, telling the story, talking about it, put somebody there in your shoes or your boots in that time and space and and can fully understanding the weight of what these experiences did to your soul. And how do you wrestle with that? Next time on the Life Giver Podcast.
1: Part of the deep wounding of spiritual injury, and, and certainly warriors live this out, the, the trauma of war, as I, one of the ways that I've described, it's the most anti-human experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and so the ultimate reconciliation is us to God. And, mm-hmm. and war can present an almost a seemingly insurmountable spiritual problem to the, to the warrior. My God, I've experienced this. This is certainly a barrier between me and God. Even if I've overcome, you know, the barrier that I had put up or we had put up between me and the family system and maybe even I've healthfully integrated into the community, certainly God can't get over the fact that I've been to the lord.